What can I say? I'm definitely not ready for this one. But David Lawson, Ready Football Podcast. And Stefan Hausen. What's going on, Stefan? I'm okay, man. I can I can hear the broken heart in your voice. It's kind of putting a little downer on my Monday morning, but we have to move on, Dave. We have to keep going. We have to keep pushing forward. It's going to be okay. One day it will come home. I promise you. I deactivated my Facebook account. Um, yeah, it's going to be this one is a tough one. I'm going to get into it. Uh, so, no, no, we can get into other games after, but obviously we have to get into the England versus France game. I know what I saw. Oh, I want you to talk to me, Stefan. Why did England lose? Why did England lose? That's that's a tough one to answer in any simplistic form. You know, what what did you see? I don't know. But what I saw was I saw a good game. I saw a game that was evenly matched for the most part. I know a lot of people, when they look at their post-mortem of that game, they said that England played better and they had the chances and they should have won and it's it's a failure, etc. I didn't see it that way. I thought it was a lot closer than people are making it seem. Uh, yes, England had more possession. Aesthetically, they looked better than France. But at the same time, this is what France do. I've said this for, for years now. France are very comfortable giving their opponents the ball. They're very comfortable letting their opponents shoot on them and countering. And yes, England did have their chances, but I think we we don't give credit to France too. France had their chances. Um, at 1-1, they had the chance right after the goal scored to go back ahead. Rabiot was played through. Um, There's another one right before Giroud got the winner where he was free in the box. That's another chance. So France, they know how to sit back, but they know how to go forward and turn the game on when it matters to them. So I thought it was a fascinating tactical battle. I thought it was close. And like I said, going into this, you know, what really had me picking France was it the fact that they just have the the mental capacity. They know how to win. They they have match winners. They've won things before. Uh, I don't really like the idea of um, experience counting, but maybe that's what it was at this point in time. England just don't have that that killer X factor. They haven't proven that they're winners, while well, France have proven that they're winners. And at the end of the day, when it really came down to it, when a team needed to find the goal to score, it was France that found it, while England couldn't. Yeah, um, you know, I thought England won the feeling of the game. And by the feeling of the game, I mean, I felt like I got some messages of the game and every, and people were messaging me, man, your side is playing better than I expected. Your side is playing good. Like, it was almost a shock because you have to remember there's a generation and another generation of people who, when you say England football, they think of, methodical, average, plain straight line, not being able to do anything aesthetically pleasing. So sometimes when you watch a team that you expect more from, sorry, you expect less from, and they deliver in a manner that you didn't expect, you tend to overrate their performance. You see it in boxing all the time where you have a favorite versus someone who isn't the favorite. And because the guy who is the favorite, the better than you thought, you have him winning rounds which he really didn't win. Mm-hmm. Uh, if uh, Looking at that game, the first, up until France score, I felt England starting nervy. Um, Luke Shaw had a moment where he jumped in. And I felt like that 17 minutes kind of 
had the mentality of England in terms of, I said this to you last week, right? I didn't like what Saka said in the um, press conference. I know after some things were saying, I felt like they were showing too much reverence to France. And mm-hmm. I felt like in that first 17 minutes showed it until I didn't have a choice where it was either we're going to give up or we're going to go in. And to be credit to them, they were able to get into the game mainly because of how France play. And I'm stealing this term from another podcast, the game state. France understand the game state. That is, we're up 1-0, so we're going to do this. We're down 1-0, we're going to do that. The the other team is overloaded on the left, we're going to do this. The game state, right? Mm-hmm. France basically in their game state basically gave England confidence because it gave England the ball, right? And England, to their credit, showed more on it than people had expected, and I believe France expected, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think France expected that. Um, England, for the most part, had a game plan in how to deal with Griezmann and how to deal with Mbappe. Uh, it, 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 at the start of it, it wasn't working uh, in that first 70 minutes. It wasn't until they pushed up a bit deeper, pushed Jude Bellingham a bit higher, uh, and basically decided that Luke Shaw is going to have to play Dembele on an island, right? That's what was going to happen. And I felt like England, it wasn't so much that they were better than France. It was, it was they took many people by shock. Once, yeah. it, once it was one all, right? right? Mm-hmm. Once it was one all, France had a chance, and then, you know, England had a chance. I feel the game could be summed up in, this, in, in, in Hurricane. Hurricane actually played really well. Mm-hmm. But inability to stretch a defense was what I felt cost England in this game um, mm-hmm. to really create more chances against a French backline that was extremely nervy. Like Hurricane did so many good things, but his inability to stretch the defense is something that, that, that hurt England in the end. Um, and finally on that, I felt another day England could have really won. The breaks didn't go England's way. And, you know, we talk about simplicity. Another day, uh, France's first goal, Saka's, the foul is called, the ball yeah. goes, or, or the shot goes just outside the post. That happens yeah. all the time. Another day, um, the referee sees Hurricane outside the box. Another day, Jude Bellingham's shot, which Laurie saved, is six inches to the right, right? It just yeah. is what it is, you know? And lastly, I would say another day, Griezmann picked out a cross where if you had paused time and you picked up the ball and carried it to Giroud's head, you couldn't do it better <laughs> than what Griezmann did. It was a one in 100 shot cross. Like, I don't, you know, I don't rate Griezmann, but it was one in 100. Like, you could try that thing, that cross the next 99 times. It's not going to go right there, right? Um, so in that way, guard, and you miss a penalty, you know, and that's why it could be summed up. What I want to ask you guys, though, what could Gareth Southgate have done differently? Uh, what could he have done differently? I don't know. Again, I don't like to put down football results on such simplistic things. I don't necessarily think... England played badly. I don't think there was anything that he did that I would have said was egregiously wrong. I know a lot of people are get, are harping on the substitutions. I know a lot of people are saying that you should be more proactive. You should put on Rashford early. I saw people saying that 1-1 one, one 
they should have taken off Henderson and put Rashford on and gone for gone for Rashford in front of Kane. Yes, sure, that sounds great when you're playing FIFA, but in the reality mm -hmm. of well, that is a stupid suggestion. Nobody in their right mind is going to be doing that. That's not proactive. That is madness um, to suggest doing that at that point in time. I, I don't really see. I... Go ahead. No, what I was going to say to you was I felt like the. I was a bit worried when it was one all and France had their flurry because those are France and they hit you with flurries at different parts in the game. Yeah, I felt like it was a, it was a moment where Southgate was, what do I do here? Um, or what any manager do because in like, no matter what you do, you're going to lose something. Uh -huh. And he didn't, and it was a situation where it was he would have had to gamble, and maybe it would uh -huh. have worked, maybe it would have worked because it, that was the time where you would have had to have made a sub. But would that so really have stopped Griezmann's cross and Harry Kane from missing a penalty? I just I just don't see it, you know. Um, and even me, who's a Grealish fan, I was like, should we bring Grealish on? I wasn't even, I was thinking, you know, it was a hesitation. Mm -hmm. I felt like England hit their ceiling um, with Southgate and with these players. And Possibly. It, here's the thing. Here, before, we go, yeah. before we move on, here's the thing with, uh, in regards to, what could Gareth have done wrong? And people saying he should have been more proactive, he should have made substitutions. Uh, on the flip side of it, what could Deschamps have done differently? There was a point in time where Marcus Thuram, I don't think people realize, the French media pointed out, Marcus Thuram was about to come on for about seven minutes before he actually came on. He was stripped and ready to go. And Deschamps just said, you know what, hold on, let me wait. Let me just see things out. He didn't change anything. What happened was Giroud got two chances in two minutes and he scored. That Those chances don't happen for Marcus Turm. He's a completely different player. He would have changed the game. He would have gone through something different. But some, so sometimes what I'm saying is maybe it's just you have to wait and see if it works out for you. It didn't for England. It worked for France. I don't necessarily think people would have criticized this champs and said, um, what should you have done different if Taram had come on and something else happened? That's just how it is sometimes. These are fine margins. International football is is um decided on the flip of a coin sometimes. It just didn't work out for England. I agree with you. I think England might have reached their ceiling with this squad. They might have reached their ceiling with Southgate. I know he has a contract until 2024. I was actually surprised to find that out. So I thought they would have maybe made a decision after the World Cup. But it's interesting to see where England go from here. No, I think it was automatically chipped in after the last Euros. Yeah, okay. you, get a, you don't want him to be a um, lame duck manager, so you just put it in an extra tournament. But, yeah, I think that, like, you know, someone had commented, Phil Foden is only a winger in Pep Guardiola's system. But <laughs> Phil Foden can't play midfield for England. You know, no, I, think it, it, I think that's just the issue. I think this is the end of this era in terms of some of these players. Um, like Harry Kane, I think this is likely. And he's lost all of his pace. Um, mm -hmm. He's just playing on his ability with the ball. Jordan Henderson, I think that's the end of him. Um, you talk about what France could have done differently. I really was surprised they kept Dembele on for so long because he was useless. He was absolutely trash. Uh, which is why I was surprised you wanted to put forth Luke Shaw handling him as something special. <laughs> because going into the game, I did a lot of homework, right? And he was the one that I was worried about because I knew England was going to overload and trying to stop Mbappe. So that means that it was going to be Dembele and Luke Shaw. Luke Shaw had to win. And Luke Shaw made an early mistake where he tried to bite in and, and he looked up and everyone looked at him. And I could, I kind of felt like everyone said to him, 
we've been practicing all week. We told you don't do that. And the first <laughs> thing you do is the thing we told you not to do. And it was almost like someone who just does something stupid. And you yeah. don't need to say the word. And um, that was that. But there was that though, but you know, England did a lot well, but you know, again, you have to go back to it, you know. There was no park, but especially, you know, there's no, I know you're not a big fan of Benzema and, and those kinds no, of no, things, no. you know. Hold on, hold on. Those, those are that, those are that. I am a huge fan for of France, Benzema. I mean, for France. <laughs> okay. I just, yeah, I thought oh. to kind of balance the team for France. <laughs> yeah, for I'm France. Huge. Sure. Okay, yeah, cool. And, you know, I'm, I'm, again, other podcasts listen to T-Foot, they, they break down all of these games and stuff. And they said that going into this game, that they think that this French team is one of the best international sides. And, you know, I can't think that because, again, they think more system. I think more players. Mm-hmm. I think the game more from you need the best player standpoint, mm-hmm. where uh, international football is just about that. And they're openly been saying, like, this French gener- this French team, French generation, may be the best international team for a long time or whatever, you know. You know, everybody always says, but one of the best mm-hmm. French, you know, and I, I, you look at... I was- yeah, you know, funnily enough, I was having this, this discussion with a group of friends, you know, I, I came up and I was like, you know, honestly, I feel like at this point in time, France should probably be recognized as probably one of the best tactical teams of the last decade. Maybe maybe longer than that international-wise, because as you pointed out, their game state management is is some of the best I've seen in international football. They know how to turn it on and off, depending on what the in-game situation is. And I said that too, and a French friend responded to me and said, Tears of joys from Stefan saying this. And I said, why? The team sucks. <laughs> like, you play such boring football. <laughs> and then he was just like, but you just praise them. And I'm, I'm, I'm counting two minds between them. Because, yes, I do think tactically they are incredibly impressive. And from an analytical point, they're very fun to watch and break down. But I don't think I would ever regard this international side with the same um, reverence and joy that I regard um, even the 98 France team. I enjoyed watching a lot more the, the, the Spain team that went three trophies back to back. They were more enjoyable to me from an aesthetic purpose. I just thought they played football better. Some of the Dutch teams I've seen, I've loved. I don't think I'll ever regard France that highly, but they are a, a very, very good team. And they're very hard to beat. Yeah, and... They ride their luck very, very well. In terms of <clears throat> because even when they <clears throat> even when they don't play well, it doesn't seem like the other teams are ruthless enough to to beat them. Yeah, yeah anyway, I don't wanna I think we believe a point. I don't think, you know, thinking back on the game last point, I think England disappointed me a bit. Mm-hmm. England overachieved in some people's mind, but because I've been following this team for a while and my players, maybe I this again, I overrated some of these players, um, but I was a bit disappointed in England, and they're gonna have to, they're gonna have to go again. And the sad part about it is, they have no chance to win in America. They have absolutely no chance. <laughs> yeah, when when it comes down to the fact, improve, they have no chance because sure. America's gonna be hot. It's gonna be you. It's gonna be all of those things. You gonna, have a, you know, it was, this is what it is. Um. So, you know, we'll see what happens in the Euros. This is the worst loss I've ever suffered. Even worse than the final <laughs> last year because last year during the Italy game, I thought Italy was just better. This year, I just... It doesn't matter. But tactically, we will we, we'll go again. we try and make some um, adjustments um, and see what can come. Next game, Stefan. Brazil yes. versus Croatia. And this one was a simple one for me. 
What did you think? Um, you know, it, it, <laughs> before we move on, the final you, you said something with England. That's what my final point to be put out there. You said you're a bit disappointed, and um, and you, you, people said they're overachieved. Here, my point of it, I don't think England overachieved. I think England were par for the course. I think what people should want to see is England overachieve, but they haven't managed it yet. I don't necessarily think it's a failure, but I do agree with you that it's disappointing. I think England, if there was ever a point where they would have overachieved, it would have been this tournament, but unfortunately it didn't happen. Well, moving on to Brazil versus Croatia. What a fun game to watch, David. <laughs> um, I said before the game that the Croatian midfield, I've been saying it since the tournament started, the Croatian midfield is one that has to be respected. It is still one of the best midfields in the tournament. Their in-game management, again, is superb. And I thought it would come down to to be a pretty interesting tactical battle where Brazil would eventually come through. And just because they have that spectacular player up front, the player capable of making that that um, that um, important goal scoring or goal creating opportunity that they would come up trumps. And eventually that did happen. But what I would never have been able to forecast is a ridiculously bad shot deflecting and flying into the corner and it going to penalties. That is just madness. Like we talk about game state, and that seems to be the theme of today, right? The thing main the, the thing with Croatia was Croatia, because of the age of their team, and they don't have any real good attackers, right? And I know Paris yeah. is doing the best he can. They basically only thing they can do is if a team is gonna come at them, they know that they have enough about them to progress from back to front slowly. To slow the game down. There was 50-50 possession. So when yeah. Brazil would get rolling and up the tempo, if Brazil didn't score, then you hold for the next five or so minutes to slow the tempo back down, keep mm -hmm. it going. And Brazil would try and hit them again, then they would do it again. And it was basically just trying to just try to keep Brazil at bay for as long as you can and stay in the game for as long as you can. If Brazil couldn't take their half chances, our goalkeeper would make some save. We mm -hmm. would we you know, get a chance at the lottery. Uh, Brazil did come up with the magic. It finally cracked, and eventually it went through. You know, you, you know that we talk about coaches making substitutions. You know, during that game, I kept saying, "Why does this coach not bring on Fabinho?" Because I'm such a huge fan of his. And yeah. I was saying, I'll still say this. I believe if Fabinho was on, they he, they would have um they would have hold off. And and that's that and that's a tricky part of analyzing Brazil because Brazil on the surface of it in terms of individuals there are so many weaknesses right we know mm -hmm. like they don't have three central midfielders Richardson who is doing well is not no he has scored no goals in the Premier League right um, yeah. I'm no fan of Rafinha he looks better than he actually is right Vinicius Junior right I don't agree with his substitution at all. Yeah. Uh, but he wasn't, yeah, you know, I don't think he was playing well, particularly well, but I kept him on. But you look at the entire side, the centre-back, Thiago Silva is old, they have no full-back. They're using a lot of in, um, innate ability um, and system to get the team to go forward. And this is a game in which they met a European midfield that didn't fear their midfield. Honestly, if this was Croatia four years ago, I probably would have picked Croatia to beat Brazil and I wouldn't have been surprised. But this Croatia team is so old that Brazil yeah. should have been able to score at least two goals. 
Uh, you know, I, I agree with you. If this was Croatia four years ago, I would have actually picked Croatia to comfortably win this game. I remember the last year, the last World Cup when Croatia had Argentina in that group. Um, my group chat was blowing up about how it was going to glow and it was a great game. And my only comment was Croatia should beat Argentina by three clear goals. I think if this was Croatia playing Brazil today, I would have said something similar. That that was the only thing that really um, cut, kept them in the game. This midfield, this midfield is still world class in international football spectrums, of course. But yeah, Brazil on a whole, I thought they did some very weird things. Chiche, whatever his substitutions were, like, if Vinicius wasn't playing well, sure you want to change it, but why Rodrigo? Why not go with someone more direct? You pretty much went with a a lame version of this this of this, of Junior <laughs> by bringing on Rodrigo. Uh, when they finally got the go-ahead goal in extra time, you'd think, all right, let's let's calm it down, let's stay tight, let's be compact, let's bring on a Fabinho. No, instead they bring on a flying left back and they bring on Fred, who is definitely not defensively sound, to to then continue going forward. And Croatia were able to just pick them apart on the transitions. It made no sense. I feel like Brazil, for as good as they were in many people's eyes, kind of just threw away the tournament. Yeah, they threw it away. And and lastly, my last thought on Brazil, and I'll talk about England being hard done by. You look at Brazil since 2002, you know, and every year, you know, mar the margin of error for them, skill-wise especially, especially in midfield, is basically gone. Like mm -hmm. the margin of effort they've had in the midfield is gone. But, you know, they use a lot of, you know, magic, magic tricks and all that and the football innate ability. 2006, mm -hmm. they were regarded as the best team. They had a lot of names. It was a stupidly bad team. <laughs> it was a stupidly bad team. <laughs> it was so bad. They lost the front, right? <laughs> then in 2010, many people regarded them well. They threw away the game against Netherlands, right? Mm -hmm. 2014, they were at home. It all came crumbling down, right? They lost, but people could say they lost Neymar. They lost Thiago Silva against mm -hmm. Germany. But the, yeah. the teams I'm seeing that are a recognized name. 2018, I thought they had the best team. They they lost to Belgium, right? Yeah. A, a top, a favorite team. This time they've lost to Croatia. It seems like it gets it. It's like it's every World Cup cycle. Brazil had a time. I always go back to this: the dream team, Barcelona team that people used to talk about in the 90s. The, the, yeah. the top AC Milan team lost to like Brazil. Would lose the um Brazilian side. Because Brazil had so much talent. That yeah. gap is smaller and smaller and smaller until Brazil. And we talk about systems and individuals and all that, and which one means more. Eventually, you, you need some players. Um, yeah. <laughs> and outside of Neymar, there's nobody on Brazil's team, right, that can change the way how opposition function. With England against France, at that time, two, three people on him. Right, they're basically saying win this matchup. There's too many players who look better than they actually are. Too many answers. Yeah. And that's uh, another no, game I, I was wrong about. Stefan, oh. I was wrong because I was wrong about every game. Um, <laughs> you're really you're yeah. about all of them. Interesting. All of them, everyone. I'm not afraid to say. It. Yeah. Netherlands versus Argentina, and this one I was really, really wrong about because Netherlands. I never rate Argentina don't rate, but I thought Netherlands would have had enough to overpower this crap Argentina team. But up until Argentina scored that second goal, Netherlands were totally useless. 
And mm-hmm. I, I, I know Dumfries is a player that people rate. Dumfries is such a limited overall football player, but he can do one or two things really well. And in this system, it was it, it shows up well. He plays as a flying wing back, um, and they give him little defensive duty, and he can just run up and down. And in a three-five-two, it's hard for teams to to mark him. And Dutch have some enough touch to move the ball around, and he's such a weapon. Argentina tactically changes shape was able to ask questions, can you do something else? And of course he can. Because if you watch him actually play weekly, you know, you know Dumfries is a very ordinary football player. <laughs> and I know after the USA game, people was like, yo, this is a guy Man United should sign. I'm like, okay. <laughs> this is another reason <laughs> I social media. Uh, yeah. So, Netherlands lost to a poor um, Argentina side. Messi is doing his, his great final gas attempt. And we talk about, you know, the gap getting smaller. And lastly, related to England. I remember I used to say about England, I wish it's, not, it's one thing that England's always losing. But every time we lose, people always laugh and say, man, good riddance. They suck. Whereas with <laughs> the Netherlands, people are like, wow, that's a shame. Netherlands can really play the football. And I feel like England and Netherlands are changing positions these last few years. Where Netherlands is becoming the the very simplistic, mundane, straight line team, and England is is becoming more. Oh, that player is pretty good. That player is pretty skillful. Oh, kind of like them. That sort of thing. I feel like that is the change that is happening there. Um, yeah. And back to this game, I honestly had no clue that the rivalry between Netherlands and Argentina for this game would have been made. <laughs> Uh, it made the last 15 minutes extremely interesting. Yeah, the, the bad blood between the teams seems to be there from the last World Cup, and then Van Gaal just kept stoking the fires. But it's interesting because before the game, as you said, Argentina, they decided to, to change their system and go um and go with a back five as well to match the situations that the Netherlands tried to create. You know, a lot of people saw that and they said, wow, this is interesting for Argentina because it's not a system they're used to. That's incorrect. Argentina, if you follow them on the spell, when you have been using a, a back five quite a few times, it's, it's not totally new to them. It's something that they've practiced and, and worked on and used in the in-game situations quite a bit. So it wasn't new to them. So while I didn't expect them to do it, once I saw that, I said, oh, interesting. This might throw the tie a little bit more in the Argentina side because I did have Netherlands going through. I actually thought it would be a cage game that goes to either extra time or penalties and that Netherlands would take it. They went the other way. No shame there. But yeah, it was pretty interesting because once that, that change in formation was, was made known, Van Gaal decided to come out and say, you know, this just shows that Argentina are afraid of us. And I thought that was interesting because I was like, no, I think Argentina have sussed you out. I think Argentina figured out that you don't have a plan outside of let's keep it compact and we'll break on the transition. And if they lock down those transitional moments... Dumfries isn't flying. Um, but the three forwards that they decided to go with, they don't get that space to exploit. What can Netherlands do? What can they create? And really and truly, by outside of some stupidity in the last 15 minutes from Argentina, Netherlands created nothing. Talk about switching to England. They started to use the long ball. They started to go long nice. balls, yeah. So, great free kick. Uh, the free kick was genius. When, when that happened, I was just in my head, I was just like, look how Van Gaal is going to con himself into another big job because he tried something weird. Last World Cup, it was the keeper substitution. This one, it's uh-huh. the little free kick, the little random free kick pass that works. 
Like, how does he think, how does he get these things to work for with tournaments? Oh, well, it didn't work this time. They eventually went out. But it was an interesting game again. Um, a bit, bit more interesting than I expected it to. I, I, I said to you before that I thought this game was a match of who was going to go home a little bit later than the other. And unfortunately, unfortunately, it's going to be Argentina because they are going to have two more games at least. Definitely, yeah. Um, congrats to Messi. You know, it's tough that I can't, I can't, you know, be happy for him because of what happened to England. And lastly, Portugal versus Morocco. Morocco. We talk about a team. They organize. They have fantastic dribbling ability, and they have nothing else. Um. <laughs> They have a fantastic uh, goalkeeper. We're talking about They have a fantastic yeah. goalkeeper. <laughs> yeah. Man, Portugal was all over them, all over them, all over them, all over them, and they just couldn't get the couldn't get it to score. Um uh, it's the end of Cristiano Ronaldo, the end of that era. And the first African team to go to the semifinals, a team that people don't consider an African team and a country that doesn't consider themselves African by some. So, you know, it, it was um, I, I'm I'm a fan of how their players play. I said during the game they have a factory of Adel Tarabit. What's his name again? Remember him? Yeah, the uh the QPR first QPR guy. Yeah, Adel Tarabit. And you know I was at I was at the at a bar watching about watching game and there was a guy here from England. He was like, oh, I loved him because he's a QPR fan. And he, yeah. and he went into why he sucked in the Premier League because he was like in the <laughs> championship the goalkeepers are so bad. He would take yeah. these random shots and a couple of them would just fly because the goalkeepers had no clue what they were doing. <laughs> they made him look actually more impressive than he actually was. But, you know, like that. But, yeah, that it seems like all of their players can just dribble and just play a quick one-touch pass and then get back behind the ball. What, quickly, it's like three things. Dribble, quick one-touch, get back behind the ball. Yeah. Um, and find a goal here and there. Yeah, no, they, no. They, they, clearly, they clearly seem to have recruited those types of players from um, Belgium, France. I, I jokingly call Senegal France D. Um, Morocco is a is a world eleven. They have players from Netherlands, Belgium, France. All these little players, they, they go to these leagues, they, they get little technical skills, they come out and knock the ball well, they have the dribbling ability. Clearly, a lot of cage football has been played in the youth. It, it's, it's fun to watch because, yes, they're so defensively focused, but they know that if you get a play in isolation, if they get a one-on-one, whether it be Zayac or before, there's a good chance that they're going to hold up the ball, they're going to beat someone, they're going to win a foul, they're going to create a situation that is positive for them. So it's interesting. They, they've done well. They're representing Africa. Their manager actually did come out and say it's not just for the Arab world, it's for the African continent. So they're claiming it for as a win for Africa, so props to them. It's, it's interesting to see if they'll be able to pull another rabbit or two hats and get past France. Man, that would kill me, man. If Morocco is able to beat France and England. England can't. <laughs> Honestly, you I, don't... Hate, I don't know if I'm going to watch. I don't know if I can really watch this because especially if Morocco, Croatia, Argentina win or even France win, it's going to kill me, man. All of these results are going to kill me. So it's best I don't watch. Oh, um, so you, you had picked France to win it all. I'd pick Brazil. I'd pick Germany. I'd pick England. So obviously there's no way for me to be right, and I'm not picking anymore because I can't. I can't <laughs> even if I pick the right, even if I guess and pick the right team, I, I can't be like, yeah, I said they were gonna win. You picked so many <laughs> So um, yeah, you know, 
do you see Messi um being able to do something and becoming becoming what people said he couldn't do? I mean, at this point in time, I feel like making a prediction or or saying that you see things it makes no sense at this point in time. This this tournament has thrown so many random surprises in our faces. It's it's impossible to say. If I'm just gonna go with a purely analytical approach of it, I think I think Argentina have reached their their ceiling. I don't necessarily expect them to get past Croatia. Uh, it's not the same Croatia that it was four years ago, where I was confident. You know, Croatia is definitely going to match up front. Um, Argentina. I don't think it's that. But if I was supposed to pick a team right now who'd get past that semifinal, I would say Croatia. I just think um, they have the midfield that's going to be able to soak up and manage the in-game situations. It's going to come down to if Messi can find some magic and and find a through pass out of nowhere, and then Argentina can actually hold their heads. I think one thing that people have not been focusing on with Argentina is their defense looks shambolic. They've looked bad in every game. They keep giving up these chances. Like even the goals against um. The, the goals the other day made no sense. The first one was a really poor um, attempt to save by Martinez. A free kick, they fell asleep. Argentina just looked like they want to throw their, themselves out the tournament. We shall see. But I'm going uh, I'm going with Croatia for that game. And on the other side of it, I, I just can't see the Moroccan miracle happen, keeping keeping going. So I'll go France-Croatia, um, repeat at the last final. Well... Well, I'm not making any predictions. France stop <laughs> all the weaponry. And when you see that you have them, all the players have enough touch and technique about them. The defense is nervy. But even when they make mistakes, stories make saves and teams don't take advantage. Mbappe change as I said, they France change not just Mbappe, they change the geometry of a game. Because whenever you think it's 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 ten by ten, one pass can just stretch. Instead of it being a rectangle, it turns into a different type of shape because of the mm-hmm. quickness of the players and the under and the unexpected technique. And they play, as I said, the game state, the theme of this podcast, the game state so well. Yeah. Uh, for sure, for sure. Anyway, um, I have no prediction or care. Um, and I'm happy I spoke to you. Uh, I guess I'll talk to you after the World Cup final. I'm glad that we continue the podcast after a crushing defeat for you. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm I'm just I I gather I didn't deactivate Facebook. I've been trying to, but it came back on, so I'm going to try again. Because yeah, I need about six months off. Um, <laughs> All right, bro. All right, cool. Yeah. All right, peace.